0: To myself, my in
1: the window. Hi, welcome to The White Bikini. My name is Marie White, and today is Thursday, October 13th, 2022. And joining me today is my co-host, Nicholas Banton. How are you, Nicholas?
2: I'm doing great, Marie. It's good to be with you once again.
1: How's everything going?
2: Everything's good. Uh, the leaves are changing. Uh, the trees are bright and beautiful. Weather is starting to get gray. It's my time of year. I love the fall.
1: We did not have an Indian summer though.
2: We did not. We did not. It definitely went from a warm, hot, sunny summer to a very chilly fall. And there was nothing in between.
1: I guess that's philadelphia now amen today is episode two of the city of brotherly love what happens and i'd like to discuss the history of african-american trauma in regards to our current concerns about all of the shootings in philadelphia
2: well i think that's a very challenging topic that we've selected but we're certainly going to do our best to examine some of the facets that contribute to mass violence that exists in the city of brotherly love
1: yeah i i'm going to kind of course it out the history a brief history of the lifetime of african-american trauma and then more of an updated today we are not mental health professionals we are two friends just addressing what we feel is important issues if you do feel that you are being triggered by any of this conversation Please reach out to a mental health expert or dial nine
2: one one. Absolutely, this conversation is about exploring perceptions and beliefs, and instincts and inference. Uh, as you said so adeptly, this is not a uh, a forum for professional expert psychological diagnosis as you said, two friends having a discussion about something that we care deeply about. We care about the city and we care about the people who live here and we care about the lives that they lead. In
1: 1848, John Gaud, a physician and medical director at the Eastern Lunatic Asylum in Williamsburg, Virginia, offered that Blacks are immune to mental health illness. Gaud hypothesized that enslaved Africans could not develop mental illness because as enslaved people they did not own property, engage in commerce, or participate in civic affairs such as voting or holding office. This immunity hypothesis assumed, according to Gall and others, at that time of risk that the lunacy would be the highest in the populations, basically wealthy white men. So even in 1848, the African-American community was told that they don't have any emotional problems, and the white man does.
2: I think one of the goals of this podcast is to highlight these details, these facts, and then weave together a story as to how we got here. Agreed. Because I want
1: to go over the history briefly, though. I think it's important for me to understand it.
2: Absolutely. Please lay the foundations.
1: Dr. Benjamin Rush... The leading medical authority in the nation during the years immediately following the American Revolution was the most prominent medical practitioner to disagree with John Galt's ideals about the absence of mental illness among black slaves. When he wrote that many of the enslaved suffer from abnormal behaviors, included negritude, which he described as the irrational desire by blacks to become white. I've that, never heard that word before.
2: I've heard it. I didn't know that was the history behind it. And wow, I, 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 hmm. I'll let you continue because I think if I chase down this rabbit hole, it's with the ideas that i have relating to this psychological phenomenon that he identified whether it's you know i don't think it's necessarily found in the dsm-5 but it's very interesting so please continue
1: since becoming white could only be accomplished by miscegenation rush argued against intermarriage between races to ensure that negritude would not spread beyond the black population i was startled
2: I hate to say it, I think the man is right and I think there's a significant portion of black America and I don't think it's necessarily a socio-economic phenomenon or aspect where I think a lot of black people do hold those ideas and I'll just give you a quick aphorism. It's often said that for some black people, the white man's water is wetter and the white man's ice is colder. And it speaks to this idea that we are just not enough. Irrespective of our educational attainment, our financial success, that somehow the ultimate marker of success is to be white. And I think he's right. I I I No, please go ahead. I want to hear your response.
1: I didn't want to offend you with the word, but I needed to use it for historical.
2: Listen, if we're going to talk about Huckleberry Finn, we're going to use some words that are not uh, appropriate in, in in polite conversation. But I do appreciate you using it for the sake of historical significance and reference. But go ahead. I really wanna hear what you have to say because I think this is all fascinating.
1: At the beginning of the 20th century, African-Americans who were said to have mental deficiency faced a new, more dangerous threat to their well-being: the eugenics movement. Starting in Great Britain, the movement quickly spread to the United States by the 1920s.
2: And, and just as a historical footnote, the quote unquote success of the eugenics movement in Britain and in the United States helped laid the groundwork of what took place in Nazi Germany in the 1930s and 1940s.
1: Eugenics was based on two parallel principles. The encouragement of births among people who were considered good genetic stock and the sterilization of people deemed unfit for reproduction, including individuals with mental illness, those who were poor, and those accused of sexual promiscuity and sexual criminality. Sterilization in the U.S. quickly focused on African-Americans.
2: Absolutely. It's a way of eliminating the undesirable class. And, you know, just just for the sake of uh, disclosure, what they mean by sexual promiscuity and sexually undesirable behavior. That's just another word for homosexuals or members of LGBTQ community as we understand them today.
1: In California alone in the 1930s, African-Americans who compromised one percent of the population made up four percent of victims of legal sterilization
2: yes i do remember hearing stories about young black women who were sent in for quote-unquote routine medical procedures only to find out that their ovaries had been removed
1: although sterilization lost some of its appeal when it was discovered nazi germany embraced the practice on a wide scale by the 1970s some states in the south most notably north carolina and alabama still sterilized disproportionate numbers of black women who were declared by the courts to be mentally defective in north carolina in the 1960s more than 85 percent of those legally sterilized were black women
2: and i think this is where i i learned about the practice these young women were taken in literally under the guise of routine medical checkup free healthcare only to discover that they had been sterilized
1: the crimes of oppression terrorism and racism continue against black people even into the 21st century these factors cannot be overlooked as underlying causes for the rising number of african-american suicides
2: what's the right does it say i'm sorry to interrupt
1: no it, it does not Okay. While low socioeconomic status can fuel the prevalence of mental illness, even among the more affluent African-Americans, stigma remains a strong deterrent to acknowledgement and acceptance of its presence. Additionally, African-Americans are not treated equally by medical practitioners, even when we do seek care and have the resources to pay for it.
2: I think I'll just take the moment to sort of relay uh, personal experience. I- had a very difficult time. I found myself in the care of the system. I needed immediate psychological care, and I found myself hospitalized. And it's one of the things that I thank you, Marie, for, because you told me, you came to me, and you said, Nick, let them know that you are a Villanova graduate. Let them know you have people who care about you, and there are people that will be coming to the hospital to check on you. And in retrospect, it was absolutely vital to me being released (laughs) I think when I was released from that hospital after their care, otherwise I I probably would have been three or two in a room. And I think it's that mindset that, you know, without becoming political, but just for the sake of just saying it, that black lives do matter. My life does matter. And when you're taken into the system, whether it's the criminal justice system, or in my case, the healthcare system, there are disproportionate outcomes and disproportionate levels of care. So I experienced it. And fortunately I had people like you, I had my family, I had advocates around me who were there to make sure that I didn't get lost in the system. But I can only imagine if you didn't know how the system worked and if you didn't have people who cared for you, what the outcome could have been for me um it would have been disastrous
1: and i hate to say this but i'm going to but let's be honest i'm also a white girl you're gonna to listen to me
2: absolutely absolutely you know and and this is the legacy we're coming from and you know you you made some really valid points as to some uh call them let's call them milestones along the path of understanding how trauma exists in the black community but let's let's go back to the source let's go back to being captured in an African village by your fellow Africans, sold to Europeans, warehoused like cattle on the coast of West Africa, thrown into a cramped ship with 400 other Africans of various cultures and ethnicities. Some of these people you don't know. Some of them you do know. Some of them are your friends. Some of them are your enemies. Maybe one quarter of you die. The bodies are thrown overboard to feed sharks. And four months later, three months later, you arrive in a country where they speak a different language, you have no idea what's going on, you barely survive, and immediately your auction sold, thrown on a plantation, where in some cases you're dead within 2-3 years from exhaustion. So the roots of trauma in the black community are wide and deep. And this isn't about necessarily saying white people are evil, Or black people are good because the enslavement of Africans took the cooperation of other Africans as well as the exploitation of Europeans. This is a complex situation, this is a complex human problem and I hope that anyone who's listening to this podcast doesn't simply fall into the political trap of black versus white. Black good, white bad. This is not what we're talking about. We're trying to understand why fourteen-year-old children so easily reach for guns to shoot and kill one another in one community, where in another, fourteen-year-old kids are preparing to take the SATs in a couple years and making plans to go to Georgetown, where they want to get their masters. It's it's no single factor, but it's the culmination of four hundred years, as you said, Marie, of specific instances of trauma
1: and let's be honest we live outside the philadelphia area and these neighborhoods some of them are two miles apart absolutely there's kids as you said preparing for the sat maybe not two miles but maybe three miles and three miles. no i
2: disagree i think you know look look at city line avenue look at the the border of city line avenue where on one side you have penwin winwood and on the other side you have West Philly. And the closest school to City Line Avenue in West Philly, those kids, I want to say, have a unique and distinct experience from the closest school on the Laura Marin side. And that would be Laura Marin High School. Laura Marin High School, those kids are aiming to go to Harvard. They're aiming to become professionals. They're aiming to become celebrities. They're aiming to become whatever their hearts desire. And in many of the schools on the uh, Philadelphia side, those kids are just aiming to survive and figure it out as they go along.
1: They're hoping any more, they're hoping to make it through the day.
2: Hoping to make it through the day. Hoping that if they don't get a meal at school, that hopefully there is food on the table. You know, we talked about in episode one, the economic conditions, but it's a multifaceted and very profound thorny problem that we're discussing. So I just want to make appeal to our audience just to show us a little grace if we don't get the words right, but just know that our intentions are good and we want to be change agents and we want to have the difficult conversation.
1: And all of this leads to, we're focusing on Philadelphia because sadly Philadelphia is the top of the list of shootings. I, I, I am a creature of habit. I listen to KYW every morning and every morning there is another shooting like so awkward. our focus is to understand the history very briefly of african-american trauma and we somehow want to parlay it into our last episode of boots on the ground and who is helping in these neighborhoods but you can't approach the african american male the same way you would to a boy or a man that lives in lower murray and these people have different backgrounds different concerns and it's very important that you have the right vessel to communicate to them
2: i absolutely agree and i think like many other issues it's easier to frame these problems in terms of right versus left politics because that way you can either you can come up with simple solutions that don't really address the problem But it makes people feel as though it makes our leaders feel as though that they're addressing the concerns of the community and I I certainly want us to stare away from that approach because I don't think it's useful Um, but we do need to understand that uh, that's another factor is that the leadership, the people that are the change agents, and, and I guess maybe we'll discuss this more in the third episode, are not necessarily best suited to address the problems.
1: I was speaking to a friend and she said, what do you, what's your next podcast on? And I said this, she goes, well, that's depressing. And I thought that's the problem.
2: Yeah, No, I one, think that's, yeah, sorry. No, please, after you.
1: That, I said it is, but I live outside Philadelphia. I'm concerned for my safety. I'm also concerned for the African-American male, that their lives are just going to waste. And as a community, it saddens me to see what's happened to our beautiful, beautiful, beautiful city.
2: The easy answer is if you live in Lormarin, you know what? We better hire more cops and we better go arm ourselves with guns. Because one day and I've literally had this conversation. I think it's apropos to this particular podcast where when I was probably in either middle school or high school, having conversation with my white friends and You know i don't know what it is but after a while they lower their guard and they express the truth of their lives the truth of their parents um views and perspectives and one of the conversations i remember having was with a friend who explained to me that of course his parents have guns because dangerous black people from the city are going to come there and try to kill them and steal from them and that's the paradigm in which we see the problem There is no room for understanding that, you know, you you have 400 years of people who have been socially and systematically abused. It's, let's just do the easy thing. Let's just hire more cops and and make sure that there's a shotgun in the house. And I'm not faulting him specifically or his parents because you know what, this is a big problem they didn't cause it. Odds are his family came here hundreds of years after the first African slave was brought to the United States or to the 13 colonies at that point. What I hope this podcast does is at least have people ask the question, why did this happen in the first place? Why are there disparities? I think I shared with you, speaking to other friends and asking the question, have you ever considered why all the dangerous, bad, dilapidated neighborhoods are predominantly black, or in some cases, brown neighborhoods. Have you ever asked the question? Uh, my friend at the time said no. And I think part of it is that the realities are so ossified. Going back to that doctor you referenced, where, of course, black people don't get sad. It's it's almost become a matter of fact. Of course, black people live in really bad neighborhoods. That's just the way it is.
1: And I also think the Mr. Bojangles, attitude was given towards African-American men of that generation. They were there to entertain. They could never be sad.
2: Yes. And, and it played into the stereotype, the smiling that we look at the stereotypes from the 1800s, from the minstrel shows, smiling, watermelon eating, affable, simple minded, African-American man and woman, for that matter.
1: I want to talk now about we understand on a very, very small level, the history of the trauma in the African American community. But I feel as we progress more, we're finding out that trauma is almost biological.
2: Okay, expound on that.
1: There was an article in Scientific American By Rachel Yehuda. I don't want to say her name wrong. Research by her group and others has confirmed that adverse experiences may influence the next generation through multiple pathways. The most apparent route runs through parental behavior, but influences during gestation and even changes in eggs and sperm may also play a role. All these channels seem to involve epigenetics alterations in the way that genes function. Epigenetics potentially explains why effects of trauma may endure long after the immediate threat is gone and it is also implicated in diverse pathways by which trauma is transmitted to future generations
2: i agree with that i remember years ago when i was going through my woo face i was reading eckhart tolle and eckhart tolle uses the term pain body and he describes the pain body as A phenomenon that exists within certain groups and it exists with certain degrees of intensity. Uh, He talks about the female pain body and he characterizes um, some of the aspects of the female pain body in terms of being essentially since the dawn of human consciousness, being the victims of male brutality and sexual assault. He talks about the pain body of indigenous peoples throughout the world and the exploitation and genocide they experience, whether in Australia or in North America or in South America or Africa. He talked about the pain body of the African-Americans. In the moment, I just kind of dismissed it as just nonsense, silliness. But to hear you describe that using modern scientific tools to come to an understanding of why there is something that just seems wrong in the black community, especially here in the United States. And you could talk about economics and and that applies. You could talk about social um, mores, social laws that limited black achievement. But I think the author of the study is onto something. I think there is actually literally something in our genes that we're carrying and that has affected us from, you know, I think from from the minute those slave catchers put shackles on us and threw us in those warehouses on on the coast of West Africa.
1: And even for me, I my both of my grandmothers came from Ireland and my maternal grandmother I definitely remember her as a young girl, always being very preoccupied and anxious. And I remember walking along the beach with her when I was a very little girl, and she kept running away from the water. I I was maybe seven to ten, and I was like, Grandmom, like, literally would run. And I was so startled, I said, Grandmom, why are you running away? She was so concerned that there was going to be a tidal wave at the Jersey Shore that she couldn't even enjoy the walk on the beach. This is not comparing to what's happening in the African-American community. No,
2: and it doesn't have to be, but that's, I, I think you're relaying your experience of trauma through your grandmother. And what was the, the cause of it, do you think? She,
1: I remember her saying to me that she experienced tidal waves in Ireland. I don't and that's... Know-
2: And it's interesting because that's within her lived experience, right?
1: Yes. But I guess what I mean is I think there's a whole generation. I know there is a whole generation of people walking around, whether it's trauma from the African-American community, whether it's trauma from war-related trauma. We're all people that have the knowledge to behave better. We understand the why let's change our behavior to, to know how to talk to people, how to understand we're all kind of in the same boat together. Cause I also feel I am very respectful of the police. I think they play the, the most important role in the peacekeeping, but I feel sometimes when you get certain personalities together, it's trauma feeding trauma and it's not a good outcome.
2: I think you're right. Uh, I made the allusion in the last episode that for the relationship with the police and the black community, uh, literally and historically extended from the role of the overseer, the guy on the horse with a whip who rode around the plantation to make sure that the slaves were working and that you know everything was in order. So that experience is much different than the experience of anglos in the united states where the police are there to protect and serve for black people the police are there to protect white people from them and to serve white people and i think that's part of the, the experiential difference but you know if we could just go back to the idea of the sort of epigenetics of trauma in which literally uh, periods of trauma shape our genes and shape the genes of future generation. I think it does make a lot of sense, Marie. You know, think about the millions of people that were brought to North and South America over 400 years. Think about how those experiences, the trauma of those experiences, would redound to future generation. And that's just, I'm just talking about the taking, the warehousing, and the transportation. We haven't even gotten into slavery itself and how traumatic that was. I think there's trauma on both sides, I think, and ignorance. I don't think even the black community, um, I don't think we fully understand the depths of the trauma that we're dealing with. And I certainly don't think white people have an understanding of the depths of the trauma that exists historically throughout the black community. Um, So I, I think this is a project that will probably take another century or two for us to really get to where we want to go.
1: It can't. It just can't take that long. The implications of these findings may seem dire suggesting that parental trauma predisposes offspring to be vulnerable to mental health conditions. But there is some evidence that epigenetic response may serve as an adaption that might help the children of traumatized parents cope better with similar adversities. Or could both possible outcomes be true?
2: I don't know. I mean, what's is is there any scientific data to say, you know, are our kids, are the kids going to do better than the parents, or is the, the trauma going to be uh, perpetuated into the future? What's your sense?
1: My sense, and you and I have talked about this. When I use the word trauma for my upbringing, that's a very strong word. But I feel like every day I wake up and I sense something's going to be wrong. I've never woken up in my entire life, not feeling that way as soon as I get up. Now it dissipates as the day goes on, but I have learned with behavior modification that I can't do anything about the way I'm feeling, but I can do something about the outcome. And I think that's one thing we need to teach people and it has to start locally. We're talking about Philadelphia. Philadelphia is in a crisis moment and the next episode that we have, I want to talk about the people that when the police are called, they have mental health professionals ride with the police or meet them there that a lot of people aren't spoken to unless the mental health professional is there also. That's not always realistic because sometimes there is a very dangerous problem that's happening immediately and that can't always be the case. But I do feel that we have enough, enough knowledge as a country, as a world, as a city to talk more about trauma and how to deal if the emotions aren't going away, how to cope with them better. My emotions have never gotten better. I just have a better way of coping with them and talking to myself and talking myself off the ledge, but it gets tiring.
2: So here's an interesting question. Do you think there's a way to bridge the trauma that exists within the African-American community as well as the trauma that exists in other communities? Where we live, there is a large... Jewish community. How do we heal as a group? Because in one hand you have one community, one minority community that continues to struggle, and then the other, in in terms of the African American community, and in the other you have a minority community that are disproportionately successful in many of the metrics that we use to determine uh, social success and individual success. You know, I'm sure you know Jewish people have for (laughs) centuries experienced persecution and suffering as well as outright genocide in the 20th century you know as you were talking i was like how can we how can we fix this how can we get better at this
1: i think there are many ways but it has to be broken down slowly get the information out there have resources since we're speaking about outside of philadelphia get the resources to the immediate community, which is the African-American communities, and get the resources out there for free and quickly. And when I say quickly, I mean the next six months to the year. Mm -hmm. We went through a terrible, frightening stage with Black Lives Matter. Well, let's be honest, we hit the pandemic, then we went to Black Lives Matter. There was the National Guard and the employer I was working at, at the time across the street I've never been exposed to that it's like an alternate universe opened up and I I'm hoping with the little time we can't wait generations now these young boys are killing each other now I don't have the in the next episode I do have some great resources locally for Philadelphia which is what I want to focus on I want to be very civic minded in my approach but I'm sure anyone that's living in a different part of the country can take some of these ideals or reach out to the people we're going to recommend that can help and what I'm going to call that are boots on the ground.
2: Okay, Okay. because it's about making a difference now, not waiting for the problem to cycle through generation after generation after generation and causing more trauma down the line.
1: I know why I feel the way I do and what makes me feel the way I do. And it takes a lot of work to get past those emotions. It's it's a constant talking to yourself meditation. And I think that would be part of it too. I do believe we can heal.
2: Yeah, we have to believe that because otherwise this entire project we call it humanity is pointless. If we don't believe that there are communities that are disadvantaged that can uh, improve and get better, if we truly do not believe that as a, as a society, as a nation, as one people, then um, it's it's game over as far as I'm concerned.
1: We are still in the early stages of understanding how this affects each generation, and as we just said, I'm I'm really we're both hoping that with the proper understanding of what we are experiencing currently as the generation that we are that we can start changing mindsets behaviors and go back to the city of philadelphia being what it should be which is the city of brotherly love
2: i like it i love that idea
1: Phillies sports are on fire
2: go phillies go eagles
1: Please stop by the Springfield Ale House in Delco, along with the Philly sports being on fire. Every Tuesday is Taco Tuesday. And please enjoy all the games, the best drinks by Kelly, who's the manager and also ex's bartender at times, if we're lucky, and food in Delaware County. Their address is 773 West Sprawl Road, Springfield, Delaware County. If you're out of the state, it's Pennsylvania. Zip code 19064. Phone number is 484-472-6742. Please follow them on Facebook and on Instagram. Please remember to subscribe to The White Bikini on all of your favorite podcast services and follow us on Instagram at The White Bikini. And thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks, Marie. I look forward to part three.
1: Thank you, Nicholas. Bye.
0: Let's have a toast for the, have a for the, let have a toast for the scumbags, every one of them that I know, let's have a toast for the jerk off, gotta never take work off, baby I got a plan, run away fast as you can. To find pictures in my email, I sent this girl a picture of my, hey, I don't know what it is with females. But I'm not too good at that hey. See, I can have me a good girl And still be addicted to them hoodwats And I just blame everything on you At least you know that's what I'm good at And I always find, yeah, I always find Yeah, I always find something wrong You've been putting up with much, it's just way too long I'm so gifted at finding what I don't like the most So I think it's time